So we are picking up the Gospel of John, chapter 8 in verse 31. Uh, as you already heard Mike read, this is the, the, uh, the part of the scripture that contains this really kind of famous Bible verse that if you will know the truth, the truth will set you Okay, so you've heard that before, right? It's a, of, of, we talk often in here about um, Bible verses or phrases that get hijacked out of the Bible. And what we mean by that is when you take a, a Bible verse or a phrase, pull it out of context, and then kind of twist the meaning to meet your specific agenda, that's what we mean by hijacking Bible verses. And so if there's ever been a Bible verse that has been hijacked, this is one of them, right? Where this, you guys are familiar with it, whether it's, you know, Jim Carrey and Liar Liar, or if you've ever been to uh, the CIA headquarters, this Bible verse is etched in the granite. Um, Universities, institutions use this verse uh, to justify a lot of different things. Uh, But not only that, not only is the phrase most often used out of context, the very words that are embedded in this verse um, get defined in a lot of different ways. So if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. What do we mean by truth? I want to give you about four different perspectives on the idea of truth. So the first one is the idea of anecdotal truth, okay? So what we mean by that is something that seems true even if you don't have the data to support it. Okay, so something's like, that seems true, and then somebody asked for proof, like, well, I can't prove it, it just seems true. So an example was, uh, last night I was laying out all my clothes for this morning, and my wife had her back turned to me, and she goes, let me guess, you're laying out brown shoes, blue jeans, and a navy button down. (laughs) It's like, really? Am I that predictable? Because to her, it seems like that's all I wear. Now, if she tried to build the case for that, I would say, no, 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 no. On June 3rd, I wore this shirt, which is gray. All the other Sundays I wear navy. But there's just an example of like anecdotal truth, right? It just seems true, even if you don't have the data to support it. Another version of truth that we see widespread in our culture today is the idea of relative truth, okay? It's, now, this isn't a new concept, but this is one of the first times where, as a people, humanity as a whole, this idea of truth is widespread. This is the idea that you can determine what your own truth is as long as it doesn't impede upon my idea of truth, right? Or don't trample on my rights to my own truth. You can believe whatever you want. I can believe whatever I'm wrong. Don't tell me that I'm wrong, right? Just just concede the fact that we believe different truths, right? Agree to disagree. This idea of relative truth. Now, both of those concepts or truth are, are running rampant in our world today. I think it's one of the reasons why the polarization around all the hot topics just continues to grow is because we use anecdotal truth, what seems true, and we fight for it, we stand upon it, even if we don't have the data to support it. And I see see it from both sides of the arguments on various topics. But when the Bible talks about truth, it's speaking of neither of those concepts. When the Bible talks about truth in a very simple way, it's the idea of circumstantial truth. What is actual, what's the true story? What really happened, right? Parents, this is what we love to ask our kids. Now tell me the truth. Did you hit your sister? Did you pull her hair? Like, tell me the truth about what happened in the circumstances. Now that doesn't mean it's absolutely true, meaning that every time there's a fight between siblings that it happens the same way. But circumstantial truth is tell me the truth about what happened. Circumstantial truth. But the version of truth we're talking about today is even bigger than that. It is what the Bible would refer to as absolute truth 
or transcendent truth. It is a truth that is true across the span of time, across ethnicities, nationalities, generations, that what is true today is true tomorrow and it doesn't change. Absolute truth. This is the word that Jesus is using. That if we know what is absolutely true, not anecdotally true or what seems true, what is relatively true, but if we know what is absolutely truth, it will, it will cause something to happen in our lives and we will be set free. Now, we love this idea of being set free because inside of every human soul is this desire for autonomy. Okay, nobody likes the idea of being enslaved or being in held bondage to anything. Right? But the reality is that, that, that you and I, as we pursue autonomy and freedom from everything, is that you and I are entrapped in more bondage than we care to admit. And so when Jesus talks about being set free, do not excuse yourself from the conversation simply because you aren't addicted to heroin or because you aren't addicted to something. And so this is actually what's going to unfold in this story today. So Jesus says in verse 31, let's start together. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this is a really interesting um, exchange between Jesus and the crowd. It's actually different from most other conversations so far in the gospel of John. Because so far in the gospel of John, when Jesus speaks, there's a crowd listening, but they aren't believers, Okay, they're either just this, this mass group of people who are intrigued with what Jesus has to say, and so they're there and they're listening, or it's refer, referring to the Jews, who are like the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who are, are, are in the room, who are listening to Jesus speak, and they're there to do what? To falsely accuse him, to arrest him, and put him to death. But this is one of the first instances where Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people who have already believed, so in a lot of ways, this is like one of the first church settings. As Jesus is saying this, now that's helpful for us because Jesus isn't saying this to convince people to believe in him. He's speaking to people who have already believed in him, calling them to go somewhere deeper. So listen, if you're here today and you're a Christian, Jesus is talking to you specifically here. This isn't one of those conversations that we get to dismiss and go, oh, well, that's just Jesus talking to the lost people. That's just Jesus talking to the people who don't believe. That's just Jesus talking to the people who are against him. No, Jesus is talking to whom? The people who have believed. And so what does he say? He says, if you will abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we love this idea of being set free because like, as I already mentioned, we don't like the idea of being held captive, do we? Anything holding me down, pushing me down, I don't like that idea. The, the problem that we often encounter here is that we shortcut, and this is, this is so prevalent in our world today, we shortcut to the end. I like the set free part of it. So I wanna be set free, how am I set free? The Bible promises I'll be set free, so set me free. And Jesus says, well, can we back up just a minute? You want to be set free. Yeah, I want to be set free. Okay, well, let me just lay it out for you. Abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you will truly be my disciple. And then, and only then, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. You see how if we just pull that phrase out of context, we don't get the fullness of what Jesus is saying. So to figure out what it means to be set free in Christ, we have to talk about what does this mean to abide in his word? So for, the, for John, 
this word is going to come up often in the gospel. I don't know if any of you used that word this week, but probably not, unless you're reading a Bible verse, right? You didn't use the word abide. So what does it mean when John talks about abiding, when he captures Jesus saying, abide? So the word means to stay or remain, okay? But it's different from like when you turn to one of your children and say, hey, I need you to have a seat and stay there. Because you don't mean permanently, right? <laughs> like eventually you're gonna let them up to do whatever. And, but, so you're just saying for the time being, stay there. Or if I say to my dog, stay. I don't mean that my dog needs to stay there for the rest of its life, just for the moment. So this word abide means to stay and remain, but in a more permanent sense, like where you would set your roots down, lay a foundation, set up camp, dwell, live. That's the word abide. So it's not just this idea that Jesus is saying, hey, every once in a while, I want you to open this and read it and then close it. No, he's saying, I want you to open the word and I want you to plant your roots there. I want you to stay there. I want you to remain there. I want you to dwell in my word. If you will dwell in my word, you will truly be my disciple, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, let's talk for a minute about what that looks like then. So first of all, it means I gotta read it. I don't have a shot in the dark of abiding in God's word if I'm not opening it and reading it, right? Are we, we at least together on that page? Right, so, so how many of us have read the Bible this week? Okay, now that's not all it means to abide, but it at least means that. Like I've got to at least have a commitment to read it. Okay, but it means more than that, doesn't it? So I would add the word, not just reading it, but even studying it, which, which sounds like, you know, a little bit um, heady. Study it, I don't like to study. So I'll use a different word, excavate. That's the word I like to use. If you've been around excavation, whether that's like a gold mine or you know, dirt work happening, what happens in an excavation site is digging, right? So we read God's word and on the surface, there, there are words of truth. But as we dig into it, like we look at words like abide, what does that mean? We dig into the meaning. What we'll discover is these amazing, powerful gold nuggets of truth buried just below the surface. And so, yes, you read it, and there's truth on the surface, but as we dig into it, we get deeper and deeper and deeper into the meaning with a deeper understanding of God's word. So it's not enough for me just to read it. I've got to be one to dig into it, okay? But it means more than that, right? Because I don't always have this ready to go everywhere I go in life, right? This is not how I shop for groceries. Let's talk, right? Like, I'm checking out of the grocery store. Wow, oh, got my Bible, right? So there are times where I've got to be able to know what it says even when I don't have it with me, which brings about the memorization of God's word, where we hide God's word in our hearts. Now, this was, I did a lot more of this when I was younger in the faith and just recently have been convicted to start memorizing again. Memorizing it, committing it, not just to memory, but in a way that I'm hiding it in my heart. Right, so you've probably had those moments, maybe where you were in a conversation with somebody and the Holy Spirit brought up um, a Bible verse or a set of verses and you were like, wow, like I didn't even know I knew that and I shared it and like, yeah, I'm not talking about those moments, I'm talking about all the other moments. Yeah, right, where you need a reference to truth to give counsel, a reference to truth to make a decision, a reference to truth to know what God is, how God is directing you in any given situation. And if we don't have this, like hidden in our hearts, where we can recall it, where we can go to it, right? Then what do we do when we don't have the Bible with us? 
And so the idea of abiding means not only am I open and reading it, I'm digging into it, studying it, but I'm willing to memorize it, to commit it to memory that God might write it on my heart. I'm gonna throw out another word. It's the word meditate. Another word that has lost some meaning uh, in our modern day context. However, when the Bible talks about meditating, um, I I will usually switch it for a metaphor and it's the word marinate because I know what that word means. Okay, so if you, those of you who like grill and like to smoke meat, you know what I mean by marinade. So we grilled, we grilled steaks last night at our house and we've got a marinade that we use. And, and so when we talk about marinade, we're not talking about just powdering the outside with seasoning, are we? We're talking about soaking it in something where the flavor is, is, is pulled into the center of the fibers and it's now part of the meat. Okay, so that's what we're talking about when we talk about meditating on God's word, sitting in it, soaking in it, drawing it in, meditating on God's word. But there's a fifth aspect of abiding that we can't overlook, and oftentimes it is overlooked. It's the process of obeying. Now, there are a lot of parents in the room. Parents, don't you love repeating yourselves? Isn't that like one of your most favorite things to do as a parent, like when you give instructions to your kiddos, in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm so hoping you'll do this again tomorrow so I can say the same thing, right? We love to repeat ourselves, right? No, we don't. We, we ask the question, why am I having to say this again? I, yesterday, I probably shouldn't be telling this, but he's not in the room. My oldest son, he's grounded right now. Oh my gosh, how many ways can you ask the same question over and over again? Questions about being ungrounded. I'm like, you know what? If you ask me if you can be ungrounded one more time, I'm gonna add a week because I've already answered this question, right? Now, as we expect God as our father to speak to us through his word and we we have these moments and we read his word like, wow, it was powerful. God spoke to me. There's an obedient step. There's something to obey, right? And so we come back the next day. Oh, God, speak to me again. It was so powerful yesterday. And I open your word. I want you to speak to me. And, And God's like, hey, I already spoke to you. You haven't put into practice what I said yesterday, and so you're asking for something else today. How many times do we do that to God? We don't obey what he says. Uh, James writes about this, and James chapter one talks about the difference between being a hearer of God's word versus being a doer. And he's talking about that obedience component to abiding in God's word. It's not enough just to hear. It's not enough just to memorize. If we don't do don't respond to what God is saying to us, why would we expect God to keep speaking? James 1 says this in James 1, starting in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if all we do is hear, read, even memorize, but never take it to doing, obeying, James says, you're gonna deceive yourself. You're gonna lead yourself astray. If you're not a doer of the word, 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and then goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. How many times have you read the Bible, shut it, walked away and forgot what you read? That's what James is talking about. Read God's words like looking in a mirror But if we don't memorize it, meditate on it, put it into action, it's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and as soon as he turns away, he forgets what he saw. 
Don't just be hearers of the word, be also doers of the word. He ends up in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. So what does it mean to abide in God's word? First of all, I gotta read it. Then I gotta be willing to to dig into it, right? So I would say, read it consistently, study it diligently, give effort to understanding what's there, memorize it faithfully, meditate on it. Listen to this, slowly and quietly. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But then I also have to be willing to obey it. Here's the key word, joyfully. To obey joyfully. Normally when we think about obedience, it's like reluctance obedience. I'm obeying because I'm afraid of what happens if I don't obey. But God's word calls us to obey with joy. Why? Because his word leads us to what is good. Listen, absolutely every time. It's absolutely true. Are you with me? And so when you obey what God speaks to you through his word, whether it makes sense to you or not, right? Whether it validates your agenda or not, when you say, by faith, I am going to obey God's word joyfully. Why? Because I know it's leading me to what is good. Now, that's what it means to abide. And Jesus' promise is if we'll abide in his word, we will truly be his disciple, and then we will know the truth, and then the truth will what? Set us free. Now, the people who were there listening, even though they were already believers in Jesus, they took issue with this idea of being set free. Because from their perspective, like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We aren't slaves to anyone. Why do we need to be set free? And so look at how they respond in John chapter 8, verse 33. So they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, what's interesting is that, so they appeal to their heritage. We're descendants of Abraham. We are Jews. We're the nation of Israel. We've never been slaves to anyone, which is so ironic. Because if you read the Old Testament, they've been enslaved a lot of times, right? I mean, the whole Egyptian thing, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And that's not the only time that they were enslaved, right? But ironically, at this point in Jewish history, they were occupied by the Romans. So they weren't free. They were free to go about and work, but who had the ultimate authority? The Romans did. And so there's tons of irony embedded here, but I think it illustrates what is wrong with the human heart. I don't want to be a slave to anybody. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. In arrogance and in pride, we make ourselves into our own deities, our own kings, our own rule and law. We make up our own law. Not only that, we make up our own punishment for our own law. And when our law doesn't serve us, we discard it and we come up with a new law. And we see that, that arrogance here embedded in the Jews, but we see it in the church today. We sure see it in the world today, right? The idea that absolute truth is oppressive. Absolute truth tramples on my identity. It tramples on my freedom. And what Jesus is gonna say next helps us understand. In verse 34, he responds to them by saying, Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Now that's really important, church. What Jesus is saying by repeating that word is he's appealing to the idea of absolute truth here. He's saying, what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true, whether you like it, whether you believe it, whether it seems true to you or not, I'm sharing with you what is absolutely true. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, what Jesus is saying quite simply is this. We are all slaves to something. And you want to know who you're a slave to? Look at your actions. Your daily actions reveal who your master is. And in this particular setting, he's talking specifically about sin, isn't he? You guys think that you're free. You're not free. Because even if the Romans weren't occupying Israel right now, you would still be enslaved in your heart to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, I want to talk for a minute about this word practice because I think it's really helpful. If you're an athlete in here and you hear the word practice, you're thinking about reps. You're thinking about a, day, a weekly routine of practice to get better at something. Okay, that's, that's somewhat the idea of practice. It's part of the everyday normal routine. You're getting in your sin reps. Okay? Now, that's different from the word wrestle. That's a word we use here at Solid Rock to describe the Christian's life who is still struggling with sin but doesn't want to be. Wrestling invokes the idea, I'm fighting against it. Yes, I'm still compelled to do it, but I'm fighting against it. How am I fighting against it? Well, I'm, I'm confessing it to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm saying, hey, listen, this is my sin struggle. You need to know what's going on in my life, right? I'm repenting of that, saying, Christ, I don't want that. I want you, and I don't want this in my life. I don't want to believe the lies of the sin, but at the same time, I'm being honest. Something is still drawing me that way. I'm wrestling. I'm fighting against it. That's different from practicing. So he's talking about here, by practicing, he's talking about this lifestyle where you're getting your reps in, in sin. There's no struggling, there's no fighting against it. You're just simply going with the flow. And he says, anybody who is practicing sin that way, you're a slave to sin, whether you want to admit it or not. Your actions indicate who your master is. Now, in Romans chapter six, the apostle Paul talks about this same thing, slavery to sin versus being a slave to God himself. And listen to how Paul describes it. I'll start in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? And that principle applies to all of life. Like you can be a slave to a lot of things, right? Chocolate, caffeine, alcohol, nicotine, just eating too much food, bluebell ice cream, Any, anybody just me? And here's how you know that you're a slave to it, because you obey its desires. It changes the route of your day. It changes your, your journey to get to work, like in a way where you feel like, if I don't go do this thing or have this thing, I won't be happy today. And it's a lie, right? So we can be enslaved to a lot of different things. People, the perception of people, the way I want people to think about me. How do I know? Because it changes what I do so that I can have your favor. I'm enslaved to that. How many of you had a, had a high school crush or a junior high crush? And it changed the way you dressed. It changed the way you acted. Why? Because you wanted them to like you. And in doing so, you see how you were obeying that? You became a slave to that person's perception of you. Some of you are slaves to your employers. You're working hard. You're fighting hard for their approval, their applause in such a way, right, that it's changing you. It's enslaving you. And so we can be slaves to a lot of different things. And Paul says it quite simply here. Whatever you present yourself to, that is who your master is. Anyone. So if you, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. 
And then he talks about it in the same context that Jesus is. He says, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So there is no place where I exist without some, some form of slavery. And I know it's hard to, like, to embrace that, especially in, in our culture where, where the, the, the ideas of slavery we've experienced have been so oppressive, so dark, so ugly, so evil, right? We think, well, I don't, why would God want me to be a slave? Yet how does the apostle Paul introduce himself to the churches when he writes letters? Paul, an apostle, and a bondservant of whom? Jesus. I am a slave of Jesus is what he's saying. And here what he's saying is, listen, you may think you exist in an autonomous world, but you are a slave. But then his appeal is what? Be a slave to Jesus. Why? Because he's a good master. He looks after you. He protects you. He guides you. He loves you. He accepts you. And then even more than that, we continue in Romans 6, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of something else. What? Righteousness. Now you obey righteousness. You obey God's law. You're, you're, you're compelled to obey God himself. The book of Galatians talks about our slavery in a really powerful way. Um, Galatians chapter 4 um, talks about the difference between being a slave in a household versus being a son. And the first point that Paul makes is that when you're a slave, and that's your position in a household, so think servant or even employee, that's a temporary status. You could be replaced at any time. Times get hard, we need to lay people off. I found somebody who can do your job better, I'm replacing you. It's a temporary status to be a slave. So our position in God's kingdom is actually so much more powerful than that because he says, yeah, but if you're a son or you're a daughter, that's permanent. You're not looking to be replaced. You're a son or a daughter no matter what. And so in Galatians 4, I read verse 4 through 7, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, listen, adoption as sons. And then he continues, and because you are a son or daughter, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the same way Jesus would appeal to his heavenly father and call him Daddy, Daddy, we do as well. Slaves don't do that, right? Slaves don't call the owner of the household Daddy, but we do. Verse seven says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So while we are servants of God, enslaved to righteousness according to what we've been reading, we are also sons and daughters. We don't have a temporary status in God's kingdom. We have a permanent status in God's kingdom. And it's not like God went to some random orphanage to find us, he's gone where? To the slavery of sin. All who are enslaved in sin, I want you to be my sons and daughters. I want to adopt you into my family. I want you to call me dad the same way Jesus called me dad. It is a good thing to be a bondservant of Jesus, to be a co-heir with Jesus, to be a brother or sister of Christ himself. And so Jesus says, verse 35, back in John 8, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, listen, because my word finds no place in you. 
That's the opposite of abide. When we abide, his word finds a place in us, right? It's, it's embeddedness. It's hidden in our hearts. But he's saying, listen, the, the problem is that my word has found no place in you. So I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. I'm speaking from a heavenly perspective to people who are seeing the world from an earthly perspective. You think about things in terms of what your dad on earth taught you. I'm sharing with you what our father in heaven has taught me. I'm sharing that with you. And so here, Jesus is saying, listen to the church, to those who have already believed. I'm calling you into something deeper. I I, want to set you free from your bondage to sin. Who doesn't want that? Who has ever struggled with sin or repented of sin only to come back to it and and to find yourself stuck in it again, right? We want freedom from sin. And so Jesus says, here, I'm gonna set you free, but we have to start over here. You have to abide in my word. Read it, study it, dig into it, memorize it, meditate, obey it, and then you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will in fact set you free. Galatians chapter five describes this slavery in an interesting way that sometimes as Christians, and I would say a lot of times as Christians, we try to return back to our slavery. Galatians 5.1 says this, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, that's the idea of abiding, remaining, setting up roots, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Another place in the Bible talks about a dog returning to his vomit is what happens when a Christ follower who's been set free returns back to his sinful bondage. I know it's kind of icky. Hey, the Bible said it. I didn't come up with it. But you know dogs do that, right? (laughs) Yeah, they're kind of gross. They throw up and then they come back later and eat it. Right, and so what Jesus is saying, that's the same thing when you've been set free to be a slave now to righteousness, a son and daughter in the kingdom. You're walking in freedom. You're walking towards righteousness. And when you turn back towards sin, it's like turning back to slavery. It's like saying, I want to be shackled to this thing again. We've been set free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I want to end with just some practical takeaway for us today. Um, I don't know how many of you read your Bible this last week. But more importantly, I don't know how many of us actually were abiding in God's word this past week. I don't know that, and I'm not asking you to tell me, but I'm asking you to ask yourself. So how many of us truly committed ourselves to read God's word consistently this past week? Because if we don't start there, we're not gonna abide, right? Read it consistently. I wanna offer you up some help here. Um, what, what I don't mean is that you just, on a daily basis, randomly, spontaneously open the Bible and just start reading. Now, God can speak to you that way, but that's a really difficult way to read God's word. You know, just boom, okay, Right, because context, what's being said here, like all that stuff, you've got to answer all those questions if you're going to get anything significant out of it, right? So I don't encourage that, that way of reading the Bible. I encourage some type of plan. How about read a book of the Bible? Book of Ephesians, great book to read, right? So where you left off today, you can pick it back up tomorrow. So whatever studying you did today, whatever you learned, you can apply it to tomorrow. And so you continue to go deeper and deeper into God's word. So I encourage anybody who's reading the Bible, just a plan, any plan, just have a plan for reading God's word. And I would apply that same thing 
uh, to the study and memorizing part of it. Because as you study and dig into it, you're learning like the Gospel of John. We just learned what the word abide means. Guess what? It's going to come up again. Now we don't have to do that work, right? We already know what it means, so now we can just apply it. But when it comes to memorization, my first effort to memorize the Bible, I memorized seemingly random verses of Scripture all over the Bible. It was good. I remember a lot of those verses. However, my encouragement is memorizing context. Like, like how about the first chapter of the book of Ephesians? Like, whoa, that's a lot. No, no, one verse at a time. Start with verse one, right? And then next week, add verse two and just build it to where you have not only scripture memorized, but it's in context. It's in, right, you have a, a type of setting, some type of understanding of what's in the words that you've memorized and hidden in your heart. Make it practical. Do it with your family. Each week, here's the Bible verse. Get on your computer, type it up, and print it, and just cut them out, and stick them on the vanity mirrors. Stick it in the middle of the kitchen table, or if you eat at the bar, stick it there. Put it on the dash of the car, and like, this is what we're doing as a family. You sit down to, to pray over your meal, like, hey, just real quick, let's go over our verse, and let's just recite. Like, it, it doesn't take long to memorize a verse of Scripture. And then next week, we add to that, and we add to it. So as a family, or as a couple, or even as friends, we're memorizing God's Word together. Listen, until you've done this, you will never be able to fully meditate on it. Meditation only happens after it's hidden, after you're past asking all the big questions and understanding the background and all that kind of stuff. Meditation happens when we, we've heard from God, we know what he's saying, and we just sit in it. And so we have to be at a place where we can meditate on God's word, listen, slowly and quietly, which means free from distraction which means I need to go, you know what, if I'm gonna meditate right now, this is helpful for reading and studying, but it's lousy for meditating. Chunk it in the other room, shut the door. I may need to say to my friends or my family, hey, for the next 15 minutes or 30 minutes, do not interrupt me, unless the house is on fire. Why? Because I'm creating space to where I can begin to shut out the other voices so I can do what I can hear from God. I can meditate on his word. Until you can shut out those voices, you will never, meditation will always be a struggle for you. You'll try it and you'll be just frustrated because I can't do it, I get distracted. Shut out the voices and then of course, obey it. So here's my, here are my questions for you and for me as well. Like if we go back to this idea of slave and master, I want you to think about just your daily life right now, your daily routines. What masters do you have? Would you be willing to at least admit that to yourself? What things or people are you enslaved to? Think about that. Who are your masters? And then as we think about abiding in God's word, I want you to first ask, what do I need to omit from my weekly routine this week if I'm going to abide in God's word? This is a really important question, church. We are notorious as a church, historically, of taking whatever you're doing in your life and say, if you'll just add this stuff to it, your life will be great. Your lives are already too busy, too chaotic, okay? So we don't wanna just add burden. So if you're not willing to omit, create space for abiding in God's word, it's never gonna, it's never gonna last. It's not sustainable. Before you add anything else to your routine, ask, what can I omit? Maybe it's the time that you spend reading the news or watching the news, Maybe it's your time on social media. <clears throat> hey, did you know that if you delete social media from your phone, it won't blow up? I did, a friend of mine, oh, yeah, he deleted Facebook and his phone still worked. I was like, what? Just throwing it out there. 
Maybe it's not deleting the app, it's just the time you spend on it. You know your phone, at least the iPhone gives you a weekly report. Mine is set to give me a report on Sunday. So Sunday morning, I get this report while I'm preaching the first service, and after the service, I pick it out and go, how did I do this week? How, much hour, how many hours did I spend on this device this last week? Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's something else. But listen, before you ask, what do I need to add to my routine, what do I need to cut out? What in my routine is worth less to me than abiding? And am I willing to omit that from my daily routine so that what? I can begin abiding in God's word. And then we can ask the questions. When are you gonna read the scriptures tomorrow? If you say to me, I plan on reading the Bible every day this week, my first question will be, when are you gonna do it? And if you say, I don't know, just I plan on doing it. Listen, you're gonna fail. You've gotta be intentional. My time to read the word is this time tomorrow. And if something happens and you aren't able to do it, that's fine, but at least then it's important in your mind so you'll set up another time. Studying God's word, that sounds great. I can't wait to study God's word. Fantastic, when are you gonna do it this week? Maybe you need to get involved in a Bible study where there's some accountability and some encouragement there. Memorization, strongly encourage you to memorize with somebody. Right, not just so you can beat each other up, but so you can like, like let me hear it, say the verse, and you say it out loud, awesome, yeah, let me say it to you, and what, we're mutually encouraging one another. If you aren't willing to do all those things, just, just kiss meditation goodbye. Because to meditate on God's word, you have to set up a time and protect it. And you may not be able to do this every day, but like you know, this is my moment this week where I'm gonna meditate on everything I've read, everything I've studied, everything I've memorized, I'm gonna meditate on it and just have a sweet time with the Lord. And then of course, obeying, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word who read it and walk away and forget what it says. We have to obey God's word. So I wanna leave you with those challenges today and I'm gonna pray for us. Um, this is a great day to talk about what we call next steps. Next steps are when God has spoken to you in some way, you know what he's calling you to do, and that next step of faith. So for you, that may be, I wanna find out more information about becoming a Christian. So your next step would be, come talk to one of our pastors. Send us an email so we can set up a, a lunch meeting or just a time to talk about what it means to be a Christian. For some of you, it's, it's like baptism. That's my next step. I know I need to do it, so I need to let somebody know. Take that next step. Getting more involved in the church, serving, community groups, whatever it is. Maybe you're looking at the green shirts in the room. You're like, how do I get one of those? I can tell you. You need to take that next step. We'll get you signed up for kids, men. But whatever it is that we wouldn't just be hearers today, but we'd be doers and we'd take that next step. If you're listening online, it can be a little bit more difficult because you're not in the room. And so that's where like, hey, jump on the app, send us an email. Like we aren't here to hear from God and do nothing. <laughs> and so we want to be doers of the word. And so that's where I want to land today that you would take that next step. And then we would pray together that, that God would create in this church a people who abide in his word. Imagine Solid Rock Church, a gathering of God's saints, people who are wholeheartedly committed to abiding in his word. Imagine how that would transform us and then transform this community. And so let's, let's pray to that end, can we? And then the band will come up and lead us in time response. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful message from the Gospel of John. Jesus, where you are speaking to people who have already claimed to believe in you. And so, God, that's us. And today, what we hear is that this idea of being set free really is the result of this relationship of, of abiding in your word, that we truly might be your disciples. And God, that's what we want for this church. We don't want to be a, a, a gathering of hearers. We want to be a gathering of doers. We want to be a gathering of those who abide 
We want to be a gathering of people who've been set free. We want to be a gathering of people who are truly your disciples. And so, Father, we're praying that you would do that powerful work in Solid Rock Church. And we know that has to begin in each of our lives individually. That we would set out this week to abide in your word. So, Father, now I pray as we get ready to sing together and respond, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us. God, provide the faith we need to take that next step with you. So I thank you again for this time. We pray it all in the powerful name of Jesus.